0: Every single month I'm thinking, maybe this is not actually solving anything. Maybe I'm not going to make the number this month. Maybe I will not be able to raise money. Maybe we will not reach profitability. Maybe we'll have to fire those 20 people. Like every month something happened. And with time, one thing I learned is I'm still getting an impact by it, but I'm just seeing this from a bird eye view. And I'm just seeing what we've been at, done so far in the three years. I'm like, if we didn't die yet, what are the odds that we will die again?
1: Welcome to Montreal Startups, a show where we cover local, innovative, fast-growing companies and the inspiring stories behind them. On today's show, we talk to Andrew Lockhead, co-founder and CEO of map-based accommodation platform Stay22. Think back to the last time you booked accommodation for your travels. What was that experience like? most people would probably describe it as pretty frustrating. The reality is, today's booking landscape is flooded with tons of fragmented providers, large discrepancies in pricing, and very little analysis on the exact location of the accommodation. No one wants to spend time flipping from tab to tab comparing all the various booking options out there. Andrew and his co-founder saw a major opportunity to provide event-goers with an easier and clearer way to book accommodation. The secret sauce? Maps. Here's how it works. Stay 22 pinpoints a location of an event, like a conference or music festival, and compiles all the nearby accommodation options in one clean and intuitive map. This allows travelers to see what lodging is closest to the action and filter by type and price. Andrew's success so far could be partly attributed to watching his father succeed as an entrepreneur, his own rich entrepreneurial background, and a
0: spectacular raw passion. So I grew up in Montreal till I was six years old. Um, then my parents moved to the West Island, even further than the West Island actually, called Pincourt, which Pincor. is like, uh, 35 c'est, minutes away c'est from C'est loin me. ça. C'est loin pas <laughs> pire. And I was the only uh, kid speaking French in that class. And my parents were like, okay, maybe it's not the best like uh, kind of environment for the kids. We moved over there and that's where my dad started his first business, which is like nothing fancy in tech, just a car shop. So we're replacing windshield car ratios and stuff like that.
1: So your dad is an entrepreneur?
0: He's an entrepreneur as well, yeah. And that's where I catch uh, most of like uh, most of his uh, skills from there. So I started working probably in the back around 12 years old, even though you're not like allowed to, but I was working and doing some like repair, minor fix. Then at 16, I moved to the front, started to do sales. That's where I got like, that crazy, um, what is a procure? um Like an um, itch. Like a crazy a, itch for sales. Itch. Yeah, exactly. itch for sales. So crazy itch for sales. Um, it was really good. Nothing more than I like than people signing a paper, me delivering a services or just getting their credit card to get their money, I guess. To close the sale. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And there's nothing best because you ask a question, you make sure you can provide a good services and people are leaving the office like being happy. That's the best feeling in the world for myself. After this, they opened up a second garage, third one, fourth one. Things were going pretty good um, in terms of business. I was learning to manage a team, like all of the problems that come with managing people from people that don't show up, ask for raise salaries, or just going to get in problem with the management as well. Mm. But that was pretty really cool. Then moved to John Abbott College because I was still not speaking English that well. Uh, I thought it would be like important to speak English. Like Quebec, if you want to move outside of here, it's definitely one of the skills that you need. Did this for a year and a half. Then my parents sold their business. I was like nowhere else to go. I was not sure what I was going to do in my life. They put you out of a job. They put me out of a job. Can you believe it? (laughs) It's crazy. And I was like, okay, what's happening with me? So I went to a career um, center, asked them about what I was supposed to do. Did some tests. Obviously sales was still in me. That was like the number one thing. So I went to university right after. And university was good. But I kind of ate it because I was still doing an hour and a half to get to school of like transport. And after this, I was attending a three hours class, going back home right after. And I was like doing all my homework during there. So not a good experience at all. I thought it was like a waste of my time. Then instead of wasting my time doing all the back and forth, I decided to get involved. um, University Student Association. And I really got the hitch for this as well because I was doing exactly the same as I was doing for business. You manage a team, manage a budget, you put activities, project, party, whatever it is, you need to take care of all those things. So I came in as a VP communication, end up being the president of my student society, 14,000 members, courage center, coffee shop, all those things. And I was like at the best place of my life. You were loving it. I was loving it. And I was coming back home super late, coming back, really the same type of uh, environment I was getting back in the days uh, while I was working with my dads and the family.
1: Was it, was it back in the day that you were working with your dad when you were 12 years old and you first started working in the back of his his, uh, his shop, is that when you got the
0: itch for entrepreneurship as well? Oh, definitely. Like having the control over what's happening, there's nothing better in life. Like, And it's not much about like having your own schedule or like making the decision. It's much more about owning what's happening. If it's going good, it's because you made it happen. And if it's going bad, it's because you messed up. And I love that feeling of being empowered and be able to empower other people at the same time. And that's what definitely drove me, drive me in the first place.
1: So how did you carry that experience beyond your, your, your next big phase of your life working with, with students at universities?
0: Yeah. Um, the next number one thing is when you work with students, they don't get paid. Try to motivate people that are not getting no salary at all. It's totally different because when you have cash, you're like, you know what? Like, no problem with this. Go back home and we'll figure it out. But then when people are not paid, you need to see what drives them. And it's crazy when there is no amount of money behind. You need to find a real reason why those people are getting uh, implicated in the first place, involved. Like, is it because the power trip? Is it because they want to get a better network? Is it because they want to empower themselves and do things that are going to drive them outside of the comfort zone? You need to find it and apply apply that uh, to that person.
1: Right. It could be them forging a connection with other students. Uh, merging Traveling all them. around Canada. Some right. of them
0: were just there to travel because it was free to go attend those conference all around the uh, right. all around the province and Canada. Yeah. So how long did you spend in in that role there? Um, So since I started university, four years in total for like you were there from the for first the four time. Years. Yeah, exactly. First six months, I was already there from the fresh. And after this, I finished as a president, as I was saying.
1: And so when you graduate university now, you're you're kind of left with the same decision that you were in when you were in john abbott did you have to go see a career person and say what's next for me now or did you know right away i gotta gotta start some some business
0: that's exactly what happened four months before graduating i'm like what am i doing with my life now like i've talked with friends most of us in marketing are just going to find a job at xerox selling um, are going to work for a marketing company in montreal like there's 12,000 students graduating in every year in Canada in marketing. So it's super hard to find a good it's competitive, job. competitive, right? It's super competitive. And one of the things I just thought, I was like, maybe I can find something that's relevant to me. And that's how Studentsphere, uh, my first startup, actually uh, was born. I was, as uh, president of a student society, throwing a party every semester or so, um, activities, networking, grad, uh, grad balls and so and I was going to dance with about $15,000 in my pocket every like few weeks or a few months. And I was like, this is impossible, right? I can just get stabbed in a dark alley, like uh, oh, yeah. going out of Telus and people are just going to get that money. And I thought there might be a better way to do those things. And StudentSphere was actually a 2 platform made for students by students. Okay. After finish, I just like uh, ended up with a friends. Both of us are like, perfect, we got something. We got that network of people. Let's start this out. And Sphere was born.
1: So Sphere had
0: a tech element to it too, right? If yeah. there was ticketing involved? It was. And one of the main problems is neither me or my co-founder actually were tech people. Right. 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 That was my sales. next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I learned it the hard way. We spent $40,000 working with an agency outsour- outsourced the problem. And every time there was a new request, every time we needed to change something, they charge and they bill and they bill and they bill. And this was non-sustainable for us. You
1: realize that if you ever you were to do this again, you need to either to do it yourself, the technical stuff, yeah. or bring a technical co-founder on board. You got it right. How did you find that agency? I'm always curious about this part when I hear that someone built their their MVP or built their, their app or their software through an agency. What is your first step to to vetting an agency and realizing that this is the right team for you to work with? People, it's
0: always about network. Uh, of course, you can go on Google, you can go look at uh, the reviews online, but you speak with your friends. One of them will probably have worked with an agency in the past and can just say, by the way, will you recommend it? Do you like them? Are they going to like over, uh, overcharge? Are they going to write a project? And I think it's one of the best way uh, to find someone else that you can trust for those types mm-hmm. of projects.
1: So aside from the amount of money that you spent, uh, do you recommend it for someone that's having trouble finding a, a technical co-founder? Fuck no. No way.
0: No way. Like, uh, no, 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 no. The best way is just to wait. Uh, go attend networking events, do um uh, Validate ownership. as much
1: as you can on your own without exactly. technical components. And find a
0: technical uh, person, co-founder. Mm. And I'm meeting with entrepreneur every week and one of the things they mention to me when they don't have like that person behind, oh, I'll be outsourcing this to India or Sri Lanka. I'm like, Screw that. Find yourself a real person that knows what you're going through, that are going to drive you uh, when you're at your lowest and that you'll be able to keep uh, at the top all the time. So definitely find a technical co-founder right at first. How did you transition out of uh, student sphere? So um, what happened is after five years, uh, we bootstrapped the business, grew to a team of eight people. I was working pretty good. You're generating real revenue. Yeah, generating well. revenue as well. Where we're making cash, so that's that's kind then of the cool, right? <laughs> <or whatever. Yeah. laughs> but there was no VC. There was nothing much. And after five years, I kind of got—I um, wouldn't say lazy, but I was not being challenged as much. And we had a great business because I was not doing the sales myself. Student society were doing the marketing, branding, promotion of the events. I was just there in the back making money out of every transaction, which is good, but it's not something that can drive you for uh, for years. So right after five years, I was looking for a new project just on the sideline, like a Kickstarter or uh, something that was going to be able to help me out. And that's how I launched my second startup called uh, Kiss Surprise. It was like, keep it safe and sexy. It was when the monthly, box, and- of, yeah, when right. the monthly box subscription were pretty cool back in the days. Right. Um, and instead of selling, so what we were doing, actually, we were sending monthly box of preservative uh, to people. And instead of sending it to folks like students students, um, or like young adults or a career, we were just sending them to their parents. So the go-to-market strategy was not to target those uh, young people, but to target directly their parents. We want to make sure their kids are going to enjoy a sexual life, but being healthy and safe at the same time. You're like a 40 years old dad. You want to make sure your daughter will not get pregnant. She won't get any ITS. Like, of course, I'm ready to pay $15 per month, and I will never ask her how much of them she got back, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like, I'm not going to cut this deal. Right. Let's just keep it coming, and she'll pie them in a the corner, and I'm sure she'll be safe uh, for under, as long as she's under my roof. And how, how did how did the market respond
1: to that? How did parents respond to that? Really good. It was uh, the right move to target. Really good them? move
0: to go with yeah. the mar- with the parents because mm-hmm. the marketing was better this way. Yeah. Uh, those people were ready to pay an extra fee. They for had that. more disposable income. Right? Obviously, like more money on the side, and we're sending them as well some like uh, not well not notebooks, but like uh, information about like if you don't have that talk with your daughter or the, or um, younger uh, adults, you just want to give them the information. So everything was uh, provided by us. Okay. This. And yeah, we did this for about six months. Six months,
1: okay. And now this
0: was supposed to start
1: as a side job while you were still involved with Studentsphere. Did yeah. you transition fully out of Studentsphere?
0: No, so that's happened. After six months of running this, um, in December or January, we got a phone call from a customer telling us about how you guys will ship it next month. I'm like, just the same way we ship this for the past six months. You'll get a uh, daily um, in the mail and you'll have nothing to worry about it. And the mom just said, well, you know, it's like, it's going to be in the minus right now. So there's no way you can send this out. It's like, going to be in the minus? In the minus for the weather. Okay. So I'm like, oh, let me think about this. Um, let me call you back. So now I call the supplier. I'm like, what are the rules? They're like, no way. In the minus, it need to be warm. You cannot send this over 40 minus something. And I was like, okay, maybe you can put like a heat pad in there or something like this. And even after all trying out, there was no way we can sustain this. So with the cost of the Shopify shipping, marketing, SEO, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. What what were the the products
1: in there that had to be kept warm exactly? The preservative, the preservative. Yeah, condom
0: need to be kept at a certain temperature for.
1: Okay, so you so you you run into this major issue that's detrimental to the to the continuation of the business. So you decide to shut it down, and is it on to the next thing or is it back into student sphere?
0: Yeah, no. Um, so back to students for for a couple of weeks. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm not sure about what we want to launch next because it's always about getting those idea and make sure which one is good, which one is worth pursuing. Because most of them, to not be like ninety nine percent of them, are usually scrapped. So I want to make sure I'm doing a good uh, screening of them. Right. And that's where I met actually my co-founder at State Twenty Two, Hamid. Uh, we met at the startup fest. He was just closing down his previous venture where he raised money for a travel startup. Um, fell because the customer acquisition cost was so high, and he told me about what he was doing. I told him about my business with StudentSphere, and I saw the opportunity for myself as a travel as a platform that's like got in touch with tens of thousands of students all along. Um, and I can just have the travel services after they purchase the tickets. I know exactly how many of them are coming from outside of town. I can target them with the exact services they're looking for. And I can show them right now, all of the accommodation or their destination, whatever it's a happy hour, uh, going to be a party, it's going to be something else. I can offer them everything at the same place. How else? How
1: is this idea shaping in your head? You guys are taught, you and your co-founder are talking about this at this point.
0: Yeah, so be the one we came up with the idea. Okay. He already had the MVP out, uh, he tested out on Reddit. Like if you know about Reddit, they either hate you or love you, like there's no halfway mm-hmm. uh, in between. And people were calling him gods like oh my god this is so cool he created this for a tournament of csgo like counter strike in germany people were so happy about able to see where the venue is and instead of seeing 0.9 miles away which doesn't tell you if you'll get stabbed like are you going to be in a nice neighborhood on a map it's super easy to find all this information at the right place
1: so from the very beginning what state twenty two is today? I guess it's fair to say it, it it was that way from the beginning as well. Yeah, it so did change like everything else. Right, there's minor change, but the core element of of, of building a product around a map, right? Yeah stayed the same stayed the same. which is rare that uh, you know that 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 happens i guess you know that there was no major pivots in this no so, major so what year is that 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 you're coming up with this idea that to you guys are in
0: 2016. Uh, we moved to uh, in october 2016 we moved to denver uh colorado for four months we like barely knew each other and we decided to attend an incubator over there and travel okay is that that's obviously before you decide to
1: join Founder Fuel?
0: Yeah, exactly. Right before when we come back from Denver, uh, two months later, uh, we did the uh, interview process for Founder Fuel. We got in. We're like, okay, perfect. Coming out of an incubator, now Founder Fuel. Next step is to raise money. Obviously, mm-hmm. so that's exactly the path that we followed along
1: timeline. So, how I'm curious about your experience in Founder Fuel. What yep. how how was that that whole um, that that whole
0: experience there? Was, was it valuable? I've been dreaming for that experience since I launched a Student Sphere. Like mm-hmm. five years ago, I saw the people stay uh, pitch on stage. I was like, one day, that's gonna be me. And when they said us at the last interview, by the way, you guys are in, I was like, oh my God, this is finally happening. It took me five years, but now I'll be pitching on that stage, mm-hmm. having the chance to work with the best entrepreneur, the best advisor mentor that you can get in Montreal and just expand my network at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was really crazy. From uh, the numbers of meeting that you can get the numbers of smart people that you will have never been able to met otherwise, but also the cohort. Uh, those people are amazing. Like they've been through L's with us, showing up in the morning at like seven till you were working closing the night at eleven or twelve. Like it was really crazy. Just of us working together, making sure each week we will be the next cool startup, and then the week after it's someone else, and the week after it's someone else. So we're just like challenging yourself mm-hmm. this way.
1: So yeah, and you're holding each other accountable as well, and and yeah, it's always good to go through an experience like that with other. People, so th- I guess my takeaway from this is that you would recommend
0: Founder Fuel to other early stage startups. It depends, like everything else in life. If you're a first time entrepreneur, uh, if you don't have that type of network around, if you're not sure about where you're heading, but you have something that's not only a product market fit, but like you see some growth, some traction, the sales cycle is kind of like um, short. I think Founder Fuel will be a great fit for you if you're looking for that type of stuff. But if you're going there thinking that it will drive your business by itself, that you don't have to work, and that's going to like change your game, no way. You'll be losing your time, and you'll make other people lose their time as well. You're ready. You need to be ready to make the sacrifice. Otherwise, it's going to be as much as you get uh, from Founder Fuel is as, as much as you're ready to give.
1: So uh, along this timeline that you just gave us of uh, you know of being in Colorado in in the accelerator, being in Founder Fuel, and then raising
0: funding and going on. When did you go to market? In, in that timeline? We always been to market. Uh, from the first day I'd read it, even though there was like no tracking, no dashboard, no commission, like it was a API, super shady, uh, but that was working. We always been to market and we were always in talk with customers to ask them about like, what's missing? How can we improve? And every week we were telling our product was shit. Uh, that people were ready to move it away from there. And that's how we got to improve it from time to time.
1: So your your goal really early on was, was really to, to build a, a scrappy MVP and validate as much as possible.
0: Yeah, as I don't want to do the same mistake as before. Build something that was not going to work out and spend like week, weeks and if it's not years working on something that will not be able to work.
1: So because you were, it was so scrappy and how you were, you were validating this product, what were the, the main
0: metrics you were, you were looking at? What was providing that validation? So since we're are the B2B, uh, B2B2C company, we had two types of customer in that case. So the end user, obviously, that will travel uh, to a venue, to a show, conference, festival. In their case, we're looking at conversion rate. How many of them are going to end up booking? How many of them are going to click on a map? How many of them are going to engage? And even to these days, that's the type of KPI we track. For B2B, it's about churn rates. So how many of them are going to um, churn out and not use your solution the year after? or are many of them going to use a competitor of yours? Uh, which we've been lucky so far, only one of them uh, did churn. But this is what we're looking for uh, almost every week.
1: Hey guys, just a quick word from one of our sponsors, Breather, that helps make this podcast possible. Breather's mission is to empower companies with private workspace that helps them meet their full potential. Growing rapidly, Breather has a network of over 400 workspaces across 10 global markets available on demand for hours, days, or months at a time with no membership or subscription fee. To learn more, visit Breather.com. This episode is also brought to you by KBD Insurance. KBD Insurance is a Montreal-based insurance broker specializing in commercial, car, and home insurance. We can all agree that insurance is more complicated than it needs to be, which is why KBD's team of over 30 brokers aims to simplify the insurance process for their clients. Check them out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or visit them at kbdinsurance.com. Life is chaotic. Insurance doesn't have to be. So I just want to recap the product a little bit for those yeah. that, that aren't too familiar with State 22. So if I'm if I'm holding an event, call it C2 in Montreal, on my website, I could integrate your map. And on that map, I could see all the accommodation options around as well as many other things like areas, what are the best areas to stay in. Uh, and, then, and then from there, you could click on the map and, and book your accommodation directly through that
0: map. Exactly. It's a marketplace. And just coming out of Thunderfuel, we're able to add also Airbnb that we're ready to add um, their supply on their side, meaning that we were the only solution in the world that can show hotels and Airbnb side by side in the event industry, which was pretty cool. It, was that something that you had to work out individually with Airbnb? Yeah, all the time. Like those relationships take a
1: lot of time, but that year of effort definitely paid off. How, how did that process look? Was
0: it someone within Founderfuel that was able to make the
1: introduction and get the, the dialogue going?
0: Uh, we were already in touch with the people at Airbnb. Um, Though getting more people to know about the solution and uh, learning about c was good. To be frank with you, we got a, an unexpected call right after the pitch at Founderfuel, like 20 minutes after a pitch. I was like, obviously. This is no coincidence. You probably saw the patch, yeah, the pitch. You saw the numbers on the map. And they said, no, no, we're just looking up to see what's up with you guys. Love what you're building. And Son will love to be able to work with you more closely. It's like, holy damn, isn't that great? And that's how we started to work with you. Wow, that, that must be big. Um, how are you able to track conversions if if someone's
1: kind of exiting your platform and going to a 30 30- third-party yeah. accommodation platform, right? Like, uh, well, either Airbnb or Hotels.com or Booking, right? That's that's how it works?
0: Yeah, exactly. So the way we were able to do this is through AID system. So we'll be able to simply track a user that leave to Airbnb, Hotels.com, Booking.com. And once they do their purchase, uh, we have a dashboard and tunnel where we can see the booking flow. We can see who's going to book, where they're booking, what type of accommodation, how many stars, where they're coming from, how many days, and so on. Okay. And that information is passed back on to them. Exactly. Because event organizer want to know, like, is that person only coming from C2? Are they by themselves? or they were their family? Will they end up booking in a five-star hotel like the Queen in Montreal? Or will they pick a hostel close by which for a few days? Are they going to come before it even takes place? So they're going to mix a bit of business and leisure together? All those valuable data are super important for the event organizer. So your
1: your business model here is not, you know, it's not e-commerce. It's not... Very simple, sell a product on the website and, and you, you have your margins and all that. You're not selling a service that's that's in, in the traditional sense, um, like your dad was doing early on.
0: How does your model work in, in all this? So the model changed through times. Um, we only started with accommodation at first because the margin were pretty good in that space. And it's one of the first services people were looking for when you're attending an event outside of town. Now we're adding new services, so like car rental, we're looking into parking, restaurants, tourism activities, uh, and many more other services that will be relevant to travelers, but also from people that are from inside the town. And um, all of them have different models. Some of them are on the affiliate business model where you just get a commission out of every booking. Some of them you need to be merchant of record, meaning the transaction go through you as a regular e-commerce uh, company.
1: So it's, it's kind of a, a sort of an affiliate play Yeah, that's that's built in there. Um, what then transitions you into your funding stage now? Because, y- you know, you, 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 there's no seed round up until this point, right? No. So so now you're ready to start raising
0: capital? Exactly. So we pitched Founder Fuel um, since it's only 12 weeks, super short. We knew platforms were going to drive more revenue to our business, but platforms take longer to uh, to close. So uh, we decided to uh, head down into events. Events can be closed in a few days, up to a week. Super fast, good product market fit with them. Like it's truly solving one of our problems, like a real uh, painkiller for those. So we pitched at Fonda Fuel, showing the metrics, the growth, traction, everything was really good on the other side. When you raise money, it's either you show a good story and like a good vision, or you have the traction. Mm. We've been lucky enough to have that traction. Though right after Fonda Fuel, we're like, now that the pitch is over, like we got the investor, um we talk with different investors around, we decide to move away from events and to work with platforms now. So think instead of C2 Montreal, Evenco. Eventco sell tickets from ABS to uh, Montréal en Lumière, jazz festivals. Concerts. Exactly. Right. So those guys are not having one event a year. They're having events all across year. They reach out multiple millions of uh, users all year long. So by working directly with platforms, we can make sure that the product is even a better fit. More revenues as well. And there's no uh, such thing as seasonality that we add from an event happening once a year. So with a platform now, say like Eventco,
1: on their website, they're integrating your map on it and... It's different for, for
0: whatever event is happening. Exactly. And all of them are going to offer different um, type of services as well. So Eventco, um, or you can go as an event aggregator like Benz in town. So there's like six and a half million people are going there to look at what they're going to do next weekend, let's say they can see State 22 right under um, the event's name and information. So just
1: making that transition, I guess that's a big that's a big step forward into into being able to onboard platforms as well as, as events. Um, that is what prepared you to open up for
0: funding now. Yeah, uh, so right we did the funding right before that. So as soon as we got out of FounderFuel, uh, which was really good to hire people because like you are wonderful one. You're one of the FounderFuel like uh, alumni. People are like looking up to you. People are going to um, do application process go up to you, which is really good in terms of branding and visibility. Right after we did that, some investors fly from Vancouver to meet with us, which was amazing. Uh, we engaged in a conversation, got some friends and family to invest in a company, and we found a lead uh, investor this way on the West Coast. And how was that investment process for you? And
1: how is it now um, having investors on board? Has that changed your dynamic or the way
0: you've ran your business? Um, good question. I think we've been lucky enough uh, We've been lucky enough to get an amazing investor. Um, those guys are Seven Gate Venture uh, from Vancouver, they were, did a really good job and they trust us at the beginning. I'll be honest with you, we were not driving that much revenue, right? When they invested, they saw the traction, but it's mostly about the team. And I think they believe with us about what was going to happen in that specific market. Mm. And once we switch of like uh, or we pivot from events to platform, they saw the revenue going strong, so they knew we were, into, into, uh, we were hitting into something and they just believe us so obviously we're doing those weekly calls and we're having those board of director meeting as well but since the business is doing good they're not they don't need to be like as hard on us and give us, what the fuck are you doing and you guys are wasting not your breathing time. down
1: your neck every day oh my
0: god exactly maybe if i was doing the wrong decision or not as lucky i will feel more stress about it but now it seems we've been lucky so far they put their trust in you Totally. And they agreed to uh, back us up uh, once more and they we're super happy about the relationship. Right. It sounds
1: like there's quite a, um, a a timeline of events that are happening and, and constant moving forward of the business and, and your idea and execution here. Was there a point in, in all that where you thought, this is tough, and I'm sure you, th- that was all the time that this is tough, but was there a point where you thought this may not work
0: out? Every month or so, this happened every single month something goes wrong. I'm losing a big customer. Uh, one of my employees is going to leave. Uh, someone in the office is going to like uh, get in a fight with someone else. Every single month I'm thinking, maybe this is not actually solving anything. Maybe I'm not going to uh, make the number this month. Maybe I will not be able to raise money. Maybe we will not reach profitability. Maybe we'll have to fire those 20 people. Like every month something happened. And with time, one thing I learned is I'm still getting packed by it, but I'm just seeing this from a bird's eye view. And I'm just seeing what we've been at, done so far in the three years. I'm like, if we didn't die yet, what are the odds that we'll die again? And I'm just being more um, peaceful about it, I guess. That, that's how you deal with that doubt? Without that doubt. I'm having a great co founder. Like, every time I'm down, he's the one up. We're playing a good devil advocate to know, make sure that no one is like super high, thinking we're going to crash a world. Right. Next day, something goes wrong. You're like, fuck man this is going over like we'll have to turn the key to the business our investors are going to lose their cash people are going to make joke about us because state 22 is out like and obviously this is not what we want we want to those people to be happy to learn to improve themselves as well this is one of the reasons the business is alive
1: You started this business, I guess, in, in Colorado. There was an, uh, a, your journey took you there in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you're now firmly established here in Montreal. Was there a point in all this that you thought maybe Montreal is not the city for you to to, to build this company in?
0: Oh well, Maya, uh, we talked about this quite a while, uh, from the YC interview that we did in Mountain View till the time that the uh, major people in the travel industry, some of them are in Denver, some of them are based in Europe as well. We thought a few times about maybe it will be better to move somewhere else. But in the end, um I'm a Quebecer, like I love the city. If um one of the questions I love to ask in the interview is like, if you have one place to live in the world, in any place in the world, where will it be? For myself, that person that place will still be Montreal. And I love the education system, I love the health system, I love like the political, even though there's some problem here and there, but Overall, I think we're pretty lucky in Montreal. Uh, people complaining about the weather, but I love the first season that we're getting, hmm. and it just makes that we enjoy summer much more because we know it's short. Right, so and no, that's, that's that Montreal is a place to be.
1: So, aside from just that you like the city and the the you know the macroeconomic reasons for being here, from a startup perspective, what other advantages do you see being here in Montreal?
0: Shreds. <laughs> shreds. <laughs> a lot of people are talking about shreds. Yeah. Um, we have university, there's four of them in Montreal. I was listening to the one from uh, Eamon that was challenging about like getting good people. And so I think we're one of the most lucky city, actually, like from McGill, HSC, UCAM, and Concordia. There's so many people that are graduating each year that we have access to this talent. Not all of them are ready to move to uh, Silicon Valley and move their life over there. Most of them are ready to like work and uh, they're already like been in the city for like a few years. They're ready to find a stable job and uh, and get in into a cool startup. I think we've been pretty lucky in terms of like getting good talent. And Montreal is a pretty good opportunity for that. How, how
1: important is is culture for you in 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 the office here, and how have you shaped that culture
0: as your t- staff is is grown? Uh, we did the mistakes to not have a culture at first, so we came up with some value on the fly that we just said, okay, like let's go for that. And this You didn't emphasize a, it in the beginning. Oh my, this was such a bad mistake. Like really? Going back in time, um, most of the wrong decision and the mistakes we did when we look back is because we decided to not trust those value. And we did that exercise a couple of weeks ago about like what are the value of the business uh, and now we have something strong. And every decision that we make, hiring, firing, promoting people, as well as every challenge that we have in-house, it's always about those value. Because every time we hire someone that we're like not fitting the value, but we believe they got that magic like powder and like be able to do those things. It doesn't it always work out. turn out bad, really really bad. So can you give us some examples of some of those values that you... Sure. Uh, we came up with an acronym for it, uh, which is care. Uh, but one of them is autonomy. We want to make sure that people can work by themselves. They are going to be thriving as well, that we don't need to be breathing back on their neck. The other one is curiosity. You want to make sure that people are always ready to learn. Uh, looking for challenges as well, because if you're stalling, you're not looking to improve yourself, just get the retirement, like there's nothing else yeah. holding up you up. And this is definitely not the right environment for you. Flexibility is also a strong one, because if you're just there and you wish that it's going to be the same next week as next month, oh damn, you will not have a good time in a startup. Yeah. Like things are changing for every month to every week. Sometime in a day, I will change something uh, twice of idea or vertical or channel. So they need to be much more flexible than in a big corporation, as Coca Cola or Procter and Gamble.
1: Right, right. In terms of curiosity, do you hold any? Is there any you know ca- kind of events or activities that take place in the office to, to, uh, to bring that out and bring out people's curiosity?
0: Yeah. So what we do is we send people to conference. So let's say Collision, uh, C2 Montreal, Startup Fest, uh, you name it. North SAS. So it's a great way for people to engage with other people outside of the community and see what's happening and when they come back they always need to do a session like a quick wrap up about what they learned uh what was the major thing that like turned them on that was super exciting over this as well and i think it's one of the way everyone has that uh, library as well i'm not sure if anyone is reading those books but like we got a library where they can just learn about uh, what's happening when they want to work on right
1: um you mentioned that you're raising uh, another round of funding what's what's next what's coming next for for state 22.
0: Um, so number one thing is that we're going to add new services as I mentioned. So right now it's always been about accommodation, even though about 75% of our users are usually inside the same city. So that means that only 25% of the people look at my solution are actually finding value out of it. So this is one of the thing we wanna fix by adding parking, let's say in a restaurant, this is how we're going to add this. Next thing we wanna make sure that people whatever they're going to use, tablet, uh, app, they're going to be on their cell phone, they're going to use like even voice at one point, we'll be able to engage with the platform because whatever you'll be using as a tool, especially with everything else happening right now, we want to be there. We don't want to be lacking behind and we want to make sure StateWinning will provide a great experience for those users. And next is we want to move from a uh, $30 million of uh, gross merchandise volume we'll do this year to about four time uh, in the next 18 months. So it's four one time. of the- Right.
1: Yeah. Is there Are there particular investor, investors that you can name that are, that are looking
0: to come on board? Uh,
1: no, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get that out
0: of you. you know, we love the people from Montreal. It's definitely not the same though when you cross the border. Uh, valuation is not the same. Process are not the same. Right. Connection are not the same. Um, even though I love Montreal and I told you about all the good things about Montreal, the ecosystem is still pretty different from what you get in the valley. And even from the East Coast to the West Coast, um, people are thinking different things, like they're not seeing things, or uh, they're not having the same value, they're not having the same visions. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah. you're
1: saying that not all your investors are going to be from Montreal specifically. Exactly. They're across Canada or in the United States as well. And even further, yeah. And even further. Nice. I like to ask, if I were to come back five years from now and, and I tell you that State22 is a massive success, what does that future
0: look like to you? So right now 99.9% of our traffic are going directly to our partners so under venues website ticketing platform event management app and so uh, or transportation company in 5 years from now i would like to have such a branding that people actually love the services so much they love about finding restaurants and finding great experiences to do nearby before or after a show uh, loving the heat map about the LGBT neighborhood, nature, what's romantic. If you want to bring your girlfriend as well in a, in Boston that you've never been in the past, that people are actually googling Stay 22. That they're just as they're googling right now kayak or uh, hotels combined or Booking.com. That we have a brand as strong that people goes directly to our website. Mm. You want to keep more of that traffic in internal. Yeah, have a brand, like uh, be able to offer them something such amazing that they don't like, that they love what we're offering out there. That's what would be crazy because I've always been B2B in my life almost and this is something I really want to be. Achieving. You want to appeal to the consumer directly
1: as well. Yeah. As someone that works in the accommodation space, do you get to travel
0: a lot? I do and I fucking hate it. You don't like it? I hate traveling. Okay, what what is it about traveling you like? Know? Oh my, everything uh, from being stuck at the airport um, to trying to find a place to sleep in a city. I don't know because I'm still using my solution. Mm. My CEO booked me in a hostel like two weeks ago. We're doing good, but not as good as like we can afford a hotel room. And New York is so expensive. I end up sleeping. Believe it or not, it's like a memorial where you just put your luggage and whatever else. There was no roof. It was card box like a, a room. There was like six by three and I was sleeping in that for three days and I was like, holy damn, how can you have booked like this? Like, well, I look at the picture and I look at the reviews and like it seems good for the price. I'm like, if you end up booking this through State 22 we're still miles away from From where we're supposed to to be. be. Exactly. So I think travel is still broken for multiple reasons. Number one can be accommodation, transport, multi-day tour. Nothing is created as for you as it's supposed to be. And I think people have to look at too many places to find the right information. If State 22 can find a way to aggregate all that information in the right place, I think it's gonna solve a crazy problem. Mm-hmm. That most of that travel happens for work? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had been I time outside think. of that, but no, it's probably worked for that.
1: Uh, I have to ask, what's, what does the 22 symbolize in, in State 22?
0: Yeah. So when I came and uh, tried to purchase State.com, which, as you can believe, a four letter domain name costs in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. My co-founder was 22 back in the days. Stay 22 to stay young and that's it.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. To stay young.
0: Exactly. Stay young.
1: Andrew Lockhead, co-founder and CEO of Stay 22. To listen to more stories from local startup founders, visit montrealstartups.ca slash podcast. Available on all your streaming platforms. If you have questions or comments about our show, we'd love to hear from you email us at info at